When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Tuesday, everybody, and welcome back to the Fenway Rundown, Mass Lives Red Sox podcast. I'm Chris Cotillo, your host, and uh, we're going to be joined by Chris Smith today, my co-beat writer at Mass Live, just to kind of catch up on where things are with the Red Sox. It's obviously been a rough couple of weeks, a really a rough start to the season, and so we just kind of want to get into it, give us give you our thoughts on you know what we've seen, what we expect from this team moving forward. So let's just talk about the numbers for a second. Three and seven on the road trip, nine and 14 on the season as we sit here on Tuesday morning, eight games back of the Yankees. And I'll just ask you straight up, Chris Smith, is this team screwed or do they have a chance? There's, I feel like they're screwed. But then you also think like, oh, well, they have James Paxton and Chris Sale coming back. And James Paxton, you know, told me that he'd like to be back at the end of June and you can see Chris Sale may be back at the beginning of next month. Um, and so, I don't know. I mean, I think Josh Taylor will help out the bullpen, and the bullpen's been an issue because Whitlock's been in the starting rotation. And so, but I guess um, he was just pulled off of his rehab today, so I think he has to sit down for a few more days before he can restart a new rehab. So, yeah, I mean, the, the offense is dreadful. Uh, they have no production right now from the right field from the first base positions. Or catcher or center field. I mean, I don't know how you could just DFA Jackie Briley after you traded for him, even though he wasn't really the centerpiece in the trade. Um, you know, the, the two prospects were, but it's difficult to do, right? Like, you know, you just traded him in the Hunter Renfro trade. You can't really DFA him. But yeah, not I think yet. that, you know, I think there's options if if they want to move on, you know, or if they want him to be the fullest outfielder. I mean, you've got Jaron Duran. We'll see. He's hitting a little bit different this year. Um, not striking out as much. And, oh, I mean, his strikeout rate is a little high, but, you know, he's not striking out as much. And he's, um, you know, lining the ball instead of like, you know, pulling the ball at Worcester to, you know, to the where the ball flies in right field. So, um, and he's using his speed. So we'll see. They also have Ryan Fitzgerald who could play right field as well. He's another left handed hitter. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, right now I would say it's not it's 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 going to get worse before it gets better because they have a tough home stand here, and I just I don't see them winning too many games in the near future. Yeah, well, that you just I think you just covered every topic I've written down to cover. So yes. we, we should we well, could wrap, we can just wrap it up, right? Yeah, now. we can wrap it up after four minutes. I mean, I do want to start with the offense, and and we did see a shakeup the other day. You know, not a surprising one, but. You know, Friday afternoon before the Baltimore series, Travis Shaw's DFA'd, which, you know, he was 0 for 19. He, I don't think he, he had one hit or two hits in spring training, right? Like he was 0 for like 20 to start spring training yeah. and then, and then he made had the team. At the end. Yeah. yeah. And made the team only because they really didn't have any better options. And so Franchi Cordero comes up. Travis Shaw is now a free agent. Um, but that's kind of like, to me, you know, rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic because really the problem at first base is, is Bobby Dahlbeck. I mean, this has been. I think, you know, there's obviously a lot of guys who are hitting in the hundreds. There's a lot of guys who have struggled. Um, but for Bobby Dahlbeck to to really, you know, and what we've all talked about is a make or break year for him with Costas coming up. 
here, here are the numbers hitting 147. Uh, I think he has one homer, three RBIs, uh, 213 on base percentage, which is just dismal, and a 448 OPS. The Red Sox rank, you know, last in baseball, an OPS at the first base position. I mean, it's just, do you see like this being the end of Bobby Dahlbeck almost? I mean, do you see maybe them optioning him and, and just going with Costas moving forward? I mean, what, I mean, how long is the leash going to be here? I don't think that they'll go with Casas right away just because, you know, they, when he comes up, they'd expect him to be an everyday player. And yeah. he just hasn't hit against lefties recently. You know, he's three for 22. I think this year, all 10 of his extra base hits in, in Worcester have come against righties. I, I'd have to go back and look at his numbers last year against lefties. I don't think that they were, you know, exceptional. And so they probably want him to develop a little bit more. I mean, you saw what happened last year when they, kind of rushed Duran out of necessity. Um, it didn't work. And that's what happens when you rush prospects out of necessity is sometimes it doesn't work. So like you can be trying to get rid of, you know, you think, oh, it's good to get rid of this bat, but, you know, the bat that's coming in isn't going to do much better. And it's also going to maybe stunt his growth if, you know, if he's rushed too quick. So I, I would give it a little bit more time with this first base. Um, you know, obviously Dahlback, started off really bad last year i don't know i don't think it was this bad I'd it'd be to, hard I, for it to be this bad but yeah it yeah. wasn't i mean i think it all goes back to and you know i'm not blaming the hitting coaches it might be analytics that's telling them to you know i mean they're, they're chase rate they're swinging at everything even even swinging at strikes that just means they're swing, swinging at everything they're swinging first pitch and so um I think, you know, they need to figure out something with that because like, you know, every, there's too many talented hitters, as I wrote the other day, like for this, for this team not to be, you know, for this team to be scoring three point something runs per game and then like two point something over the last like, you know, two weeks. Right. I mean, you've got a key kids, a lot better hitter than what he's shown. Mm -hmm. um, 190, you know, 195 right now. I mean, this guy had 20 something home runs last year. Um, yeah. I know the, Verdugo's numbers are a little deceiving, like stats, Red Sox stats on Twitter posted out, like what his expected batting average and slugging percentage would have been on the road trip and what it was. And so maybe he's getting a little unlucky. Um, he is hitting the ball hard. Um, but there's there's guys that like you'd expect. I mean, like people are trying to tell me that there's four automatic outs on this team. Well, yeah, maybe there are four automatic outs this right now, this year. But if you look at it, there only really should be one, <laughs> one automatic out. Yeah. Like that's you know. Well, look, I mean, I don't. I'm not really sold on the catching position not being an automatic out. I mean, I think Vasquez is is what he is at this point. He's his line two twenty, one homer, four RBIs, five forty one OPS, one double. You know, I mean, I, I just don't think he's. I think he's just a bad hitter at this point. You know, um, but but go ahead. I, yeah, like how old is Vasquez? Like 31, 32? I don't know, but it's like, yeah, he, he fell off drastic. Like he had that It'll really be 32 good year. In, in August. And a really good year in 2019. He was pretty good in 2020, and then just things fell off offensively. So, like, you know, it's obviously a lot of wear and tear on the body, the catching position, and, you know, that can affect your offense and yada, yada, yada. But um, you're right. I mean, like right field and catcher are probably two holes maybe, but I, I just feel like, you know, I mean, even Christian Arroyo isn't hitting and he should be hitting. I mean, it's not yep. like he's an excellent hitter, 
but he should be doing a lot better than he is. So I feel like it's it's the team right now. Even like you know, Devers is hitting balls hard. Um, you know, his OPS is in the seven hundred, right? So like, it's the team. It's not just one or two guys. Um, and so I think that there needs to be something that changes there, game planning, anything. There are six guys hitting under 200. Arroyo's at 186, Dahlbeck's at 147, Kike's at 195, Jackie at 147, um, Ploiecki at 150. I guess Franchi's at 143. He'd be the sixth one. That doesn't really count. But um, and, Trevor, and Trevor Story really hasn't hit. But Right. Like, well, that's, that's what I wanted to get to next. You know, Trevor he Story. has hit. Like, he has hit some balls hard. But, yeah, I mean, like, you know, he's it's kind of, like, weird with him, too. I give him, you know, more of a break than everybody else just because of the weird start that he had. You know, obviously, been well-documented. Signed late. The signing was a little bit delayed as they talked about his vaccination status. They then went to Texas for the birth of his child. Then he got, you know, I think five games of, of experience in spring training after opening day, had food poisoning or whatever that was. You know, had a, another weird start. He's been hitting the ball hard, but, you know, the line, you know, is what it is as well. Hitting 217, no homers. You know, he has a handful of doubles, but, you know, no homers to me is uh, kind of concerning. And he struck out, you know, 23 times. And yeah, the strikeouts are there with him. 23 times and, and 69 at-bats. So, I mean, that to me is maybe a timing thing. I think that, like I said, I give him more of a break just because he didn't have the full spring training. He had that stop and stop and start type of thing. But now it's like it's May 3rd. You know, it's time to, like, not have that be an excuse anymore. So I would not be surprised if he got going on this homestand or, or on the road trip next week to Atlanta and Texas. But, um, you know, that being said, until it happens, you, you can't really, you know, bet on it. And, um, you know, we've seen they've tried a lineup switch, moving him to lead off, lead off spot, moving Kike down to sixth. We've seen this shakeup at first base. The question for you is what's the next shakeup? You know, what what is going to be the next thing this team tries to dig out of this hole? That's a good question. Um, I would think probably the the most realistic thing right now would be Duran in right field. Um, just because, as I said, Cassis is like, you know, they would like to see him develop more. When you asked Alex Corr if they had considered him, he just gave you a hard no, right? Like, just no. <laughs> he yeah. didn't even say yeah, anything about On that. Friday about Franchi, I said, do you guys consider Tristan? He said, no. And that was the whole answer. So a good journalist would have followed up, but, you know, that's not what we yeah. have here. So um, I don't know. I mean, can they shake things up? Like, do you make a, a trade? Do you, What do you do? I mean, do you, do you add a start? Like, the starting pitching hasn't been that bad, actually. Nope, it's been good. The starting pitching has been good. And then you've got a – Other than Pavetta. You know, yeah. And you've got Sale coming back, and you've got, you know, um, James Paxson. So, um like the bullpen's weird to me too, because yeah, like, and that's, especially that's, without Whitlock with Whitlock, the bullpen was good. Mm -hmm. And that's what I wanted to get into because I wrote, you know, you know, it takes a lot for me to write like a column is I usually stick. We both, you know, as beat writers, we don't put on the columnist hat that often, um, you know, unless we really feel passionate about something. And um, Saturday night after that horrible, horrible loss to Baltimore, um, you know, that with the Salamara throwing the ball away and, and extra innings, I just, I, I know, you know, the takeaway of that game, right? You're, you're losing one or you're up one, nothing through the whole game. The takeaway again is you're facing the Orioles and you've scored one run, you know, like that, that is, you know, basically why they lost. 
But with the bullpen short, Alex Cora had to turn to Matt Barnes in the eighth. And, you know, Alex said out loud, that was a bloop double and a single for the Orioles to score in that inning. So really not that big of a deal with Barnes. But it's like, I I don't really care. You know, like he just does not deliver ever. And you can't put him in those spots. And I mean, it it doesn't matter. Right. His His stuff stuff isn't isn't good. good, And it's just like, he's, he's kind of making it up as he goes. He's mixing up his pitch mix all the time. He's not, you know, the pitcher he used to be, you know, in any, any fashion. So I don't really care how it happened. He can't be trusted there. Uh, Brazier actually pitches well on the ninth and then you have Sawamura in the 10th and, and, you know, you lose that game in the throwing hour or whatever. That's the perfect window where Whitlock comes in in a one Oh game and gives you the eighth and the ninth and you get a win. But when he's in the rotation, you don't have that option and you don't have, a day after, you know, Robles pitches and pitches you know, not that well. He gave up a homer. Like, then you just you don't have really anybody. And uh, you know, I think that this is a subjective debate internally with the Red Sox, where you know, there's people who are going to want Whitlock in the bullpen just because he means so much more to the bullpen. You know, uh, what does he? Where does he mean more to the team? Maybe if he gives you more innings out of the rotation, then you look at it and say, well, if he's going to give us more innings that way, then you know he's going to make more of an impact. But he's going to affect more games in the bullpen. And for a team that needs to just win games, you know, they, they need that, I think. And uh, very interesting to see that they're, you know, sticking with him, at least for this turn. He'll start tomorrow against the Angels, maybe against Otani, which would be a great matchup. Um, Tanner Houck seems like he's, you know, going to the bullpen. But I, I just think that, you know, long term, yeah, for years, you probably want Garrett Whitlock as a great starter in your rotation. His contract's built that way for the rest of this year, or at least until they figure out the bullpen, I think you need him in that group or you're just going to have to piece it together. And it's not going to be pretty like we, we saw over the weekend. Yeah. I mean, you know, you talk about that one game, but there was two others on the road trip too. I mean, the one where Hansel's Robles gave up, was it the, is that, that was in Baltimore or T- Tampa Bay. I don't even know. They all run together, but there yeah, was, they were also, they were all so close and they were all there, basically there was the same a game co- script. There was a couple of games, you know, there was one in Tampa and there was one in, um, you know, there was one in, in Toronto where they blew a lead late. And so, like, I even tweeted that out. What? So Whitlock went Thursday. Yep. And so, like, I tweeted out, actually, like, you know, why don't you <laughs> – this would be the best scenario for him right here, whatever. So, like, I don't know. I, I look at it like um, – uh, I'm not, like, Whitlock's great and everything – and so, but like right now, what is he doing in the, in the starting rotation? If he's only throwing, if he can only give you 50 to 60 pitches too. Yeah. So like, I guess if they build them up every fifth day, but like. Right. And I um, assume that if they're going to keep him in there, then that's going to be the plan. But it's like, you know, like Valdez is an opener. Yeah. And I guess that too, but Valdez is an opener <laughs> could probably give you three innings at that at the yeah. beginning of a game, like he did the other day. And then they, you know, and then they have Whitlock for the rest of the you know week. I'm just using Valdez as an example. Yeah, he's not he's no longer on the team. I'm not sure if you no, heard. But. I know. I did know that. But yeah. whatever. It's first you know reported I mean? by Mass Live. Thanks for paying it's attention. It's just no, I knew it. Okay. Um, but like, you know, I'm just saying that there's the other people that can give you that. And if it's only three or four innings and it's every five days, you know, it's like that just doesn't help. I think just there, there is this kind of thought that Tanner how cost him many games on the road trip with being unvaccinated. I do think, as Alex Cora said, I do think it, it oversimplifies it a little bit to blame a three and seven road trip on one guy. And, you know, at the end of the day, the Red Sox could do absolutely nothing. Like they can't force him to get vaccinated. I think they tried to convince him and they tried to convince Cutter Crawford and everybody 
it didn't work out, but the reality of it is that they had to, you know, reshuffle their entire pitching staff because he was going to be missing Toronto. How much blame do you put on Tanner Houck for that road trip? Well, I see the Yankees, and there was a lot of rumors that some of those guys weren't vaccinated. Yep, and they're big names, too. The best team in the AL East right now, and that just shows you they're serious about winning the AL East. That, you know, they got all their guys vaccinated. Yep, every single no one, one. No one wanted to miss that Toronto series. I know that mm-hmm. a lot of people were like, you know, well, there was all this media uh, talk about just two players that didn't make the trip. But if you look at it on a regular roster, I mean, you know, how was so important. And then, you know, you could have in June, late June, you could have Hauk, Taylor, um, Sale, and yep. um, and uh, Crawford if he's still right. missing it. So that's four guys out of 26, you know? Mm-hmm. So, like, let's not, like, forget that Sale's unvaccinated and, and Hauk – I mean, and um, Taylor is a close right. contact this year, so I'm assuming he's unvaccinated. Right, and he was and so, he wasn't last year. Yeah, and so um, yeah, so I think that yes, you can blame some of that on on Hulk. Um, I don't know how much you you know. I think Alex Spear put out an interesting note like if if your bullpen just comes down to one arm, you know, losing that Whitlock, then you know you have issues to begin with right yeah which is what what we've been saying or what i've been saying since the end of spring training i just don't understand but i think everybody fits the bullpen better when you have Whitlock in there and he can you know like those final two innings or something you know strom's in a better spot deekman's in a better spot robles is in a better spot to succeed so like you know he just makes the bullpen completely better and yes i would say that the the series loss in Toronto, uh, losing three or four there had <laughs> a good amount to do with you know not having help there. I you know Carabas always puts out that you know who do I trust in the bullpen and is always kind of tweeting out that that you know notes app on his phone. Right now it's obviously you know Whitlock if he's in there. So if he's not, then you take that name out. And I trust Robles and Strom. But beyond that, Brazier's ERA and some of those counting stats are like the most inaccurate representation of how he actually has been because with inherited runners he's been horrible um Deekman you know you never know what you're going to get on a certain night you know I know that that early outing in New York stands out but since then you know there's been up, ups and downs so to me I look at Strom and Robles as the guys you want to build that bullpen around like give one of them the ninth which they kind of do with Robles but kind of don't they kind of still do it matchup based can't trust Barnes can't trust Salamara um Austin Davis is okay for what he is um I think Taylor's really fallen out of favor, even when he gets back. Obviously, Darwinson Hernandez is not in the mix. Uh, you know, like, there's talk about, well, we like these these guys, Tyler Danis, John Schreiber. I think they could factor in as different looks, you know, for the rest of the year. It's just like, it's so unbelievably unsettled for a major league bullpen a month into the season. You know, there's, when you, you just, they haven't made really any progress settling that at all. You look at um, Hauk, if, if Whitlock is in the yeah, starting rotation, another point guy that you, you know, he's a guy that you trust out of the bullpen. Well, so, you need you need relievers to throw strikes, you know? I mean, like, I know his numbers are good. I know that he's he's been good in every role they put him in, and he's been effective. But, you know, you, you look at that the other night. Like, they wanted to piggyback him, you know, Friday night in Baltimore with Rich Hill, and they got, you know, three innings out of him, but he walked the guy in every inning. Like, you can't have that if you're a multi-inning reliever. You can kind of deal with it as a starter. I mean, not really, but a little bit. And um, if he's not going to throw strikes, I mean, you, you can't have him be your closer or your setup guy or, or whatever. 
Yeah. So like I would probably put Strom as the closer right now. I mean, like he's effective against both lefties and righties. He's throwing yeah. mid nineties and you know, he doesn't walk too many batters. So like I would probably go with him and put Robles in the eighth or the seventh, eighth, whatever. Um But I mean just okay, like let's break this down even further. So I agree that Strom's good and I wrote, you know, a very long thing about them signing him and, and how he got on the radar with the bullpen that he threw in Arizona, you know, right after the lockout. So you, your bullpen is so unsettled that you are deciding on your closer between a guy that you didn't know anything really about until you went and saw him throw a 20 pitch bullpen in Arizona a week before spring training started and then signed and Robles who you didn't sign. Uh, and until, you know, obviously they had him last year, but didn't sign until a week before spring training, uh, was over and then you know he didn't really pitch in spring training because of visa issues like they're fine they've been good but the fact that those are the guys that you're relying on so much right now just speaks to i think the fact that they you drop the ball in the bullpen as a whole there were guys out there you know there were guys out there and they didn't get them and so i don't really understand um the approach of blooms with this bullpen you know yep. building in the offseason um yeah, I mean, there were several guys like, you know, Colin McHugh who could have made a difference, you know, so mm-hmm. there, there was a lot of guys out there. No, I um, think with they, him, I think they wanted him, and I don't think he enjoyed the first go around here, so. Gotcha. Even yeah. though he was here for like two weeks and like. Yeah, well, as I always say, he spent <laughs> he spent uh, three hours with the Red Sox, and one of them was spent in the Fenway Rundown podcast, so that was nice. Yeah. So, yeah, so like, um, you know, like, so, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, do you go out and get a reliever at this point? It's tough to do i don't know like what, what do you do i mean you look at some of the guys that are in in the myers franklin german is you know he likes to be called franklin some mm-hmm. people call him frank frank german whatever and he's a double a right now 15 strikeouts zero walks he throws 98 to 99 like out of the bullpen i mean he's he's an effective reliever you've got zach kelly who's you know pretty good at worcester there's other guys you know, um, AJ Politi, um, am I saying that uh, last name right? I, whatever. He's been very effective in, in double A, and he's a arm that everybody was talking about before last season. He yep. went and started, and he wasn't that successful as a starter last year. They put him in the bullpen towards the end of the year, and he was really good, and he's continued it this year. Uh, both him and German have been awesome out of that Portland bullpen. So um, there are guys, maybe you, have, maybe you take a chance here and you bring up German or you know, Connor Siebold is a guy that can go two or three uh, and, you know, take that Whitlock job. I've heard from somebody that in the organization that is his, um, you know, fastball velocity is between 91 and 94. It's mostly 92 and 93, which, you know, that was pretty much what he was when they, they traded for him. And, you know, he's a good guy with a really good change up and stuff. And so his numbers have been really good in, in Worcester, um, batting average against like one something. And so um, maybe maybe you promote him. You know, although you don't have much starting pitching depth right now. And yep. He is starting pitching depth. So you'd have to keep him stretched out in some sort of way that you kept Whitlock stretched out. Yeah, I mean, they're just, uh, I, I get back to it. Like the this May 3rd and we're talking about, you know, Frank German. Like that, okay, great. You know, and he could be good, you know, and I know you're high on him and he's pitched well, but like they shouldn't be in this boat. So, no, that's just, that's kind of where I stand with that. Um, now we're up up here talking about, you know, what's next. And as I wrote, you know, obviously they had a really tough start to the season in terms of the schedule, you know, Yankee stadium, 
to start and then Detroit, which I know they haven't played well, but that's a team a lot of people thought, you know, were going to be good this year. They hadn't obviously then the, uh, the homestand Minnesota's, you know, get a lot of talent actually. And then two series with the blue Jays play the Rays on the road. You had a quote unquote layup in Baltimore over the weekend and you were only able to win, you know, one of the three, but now this homestand, you get the angels who have been really, really hot. We know about the talent. It's not just like, you know, the sideshow of Otani and trout. It's like a really good team. Syndergaard, you know, going in the opener and he's been good so far. Then you have the white Sox, who are kind of in the same boat as you. You have a team that's, you know, very talented, made the postseason last year, but has not been very good so far. You know, they need to start turning things around. They're going to be motivated over the weekend at Fenway. And then you'll be there next week for for two games in Atlanta, your first trip ever to uh, Truist Park, which is very nice. Um, Congrats. And, uh, you know, that's the that's the defending champions before they, they end that road trip in Texas. But I mean, this is in the American League. There's a lot of good teams. You know, you're going to see next, even on the next homestand, Houston and uh, Seattle, who, um, you know, Houston speaks for itself. Seattle's kind of, you know, uh, a fringe contender, too. So it's just, there's not a lot of breaks in the schedule. And if, if you can't beat up on the Baltimores, then you're in trouble. Um, what do you, what do you need to see out of the Red Sox? Let's say in this eight game stretch against the Angels, the White Sox, and the Braves, obviously you know, increased offense, all that type of stuff. But what do they need to win? Five games, six games to, to kind of jump back into this? I know I know they don't look at the things in this fashion, but uh, we do. So what do, you, what do you need there? Yeah, I think you need six. Like So, you know, there's two, three-game series here against uh, the Angels and um, Chicago, yep. as you said. And they've got two in, in Atlanta, and then you're counting Texas in, in that too. Texas um, – you know, so like they've got to win that series in Texas. Yep. They should split in Atlanta. And this is, I mean, they have to win like two or three against the White Sox. I mean, I'm saying they have to, it's still very early, but right. you know, like to get back on track, I think this, this series is going to be difficult for them. I, I see them winning one of three against the angels. Yeah. And you know, you have Otani and Syndergaard going, you know, Otani, I don't think it's official yet just because, he was hurt the other day and they're reshuffling things with Syndergaard, but, you know, probably between, you know, when we, when we tape this and when we, we put it out, you know, the Otani news will break. Um, you think the Rangers would be another layup next week, but you know, yeah. eight and 14, but it's like, you know, you had a layup in, and they Baltimore. never really play well down you know, there. You know, last year yeah, they lost exactly. three or four there. Yep. And, uh, and your offense just, uh, you know, couldn't get it going against the Baltimore pitching staff, you know, in that ballpark and everything. I know they pushed the fence. Uh, the ballpark, the ballpark is very different than it used to be. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But still, I mean, like, you know, that that's a place you usually score a bunch of runs because, you know, of the pitching down there. And you just didn't do anything. You couldn't get your offense going. That's what I thought. Like when they went to Baltimore, like that, that, that will get their offense going. Right. Right. And a kid <laughs> making his major league debut in the series opener. Exactly. And they score like, you know, they scored four runs in, or was it four, uh, f- five runs in the first 27 innings of that series. Yep. It was ridiculous. Right. And JD, JD breaking them out with that grand slam and garbage There's time made garbage things look time. a little bit better than garbage yeah, time. Exactly. Um, we'll end with this. I mean, you know, Otani obviously is a transcendent superstar. It's different than anything you know we've seen in our lifetimes. And uh, I saw him pitch last year in Anaheim and it was hilarious because I think the first night of the series in Anaheim, the Angels gave away a Shohei Otani pillow uh, and to every fan or the first 30,000 fans. And it was like packed and absolutely, you know, everybody was there to try to get the pillow. And the next night he pitched and it was like only 12,000, 13,000 people there. So 
it shows you that people are, you know, so much more interested in a stupid gimmick than, you know, actually going and seeing greatness. But um, it feels like, you know, and this is kind of rare in today's game, but it feels like an event, you know, coming in, you know, where, where we've been talking about it for the last few days, you've written about it once or twice, like, Otani's going to pitch at Fenway. This is an event, you know, this is an event. And uh, I think that's great for the game. Do you feel like, you know, that's kind of one of those games you circle on the calendar over the course of a long 162? Yeah, there's there's not much of that, obviously, in baseball. We see it more with, you know, basketball, LeBron James coming to town or, yep. you know, Kevin Durant or something. Um, you know, like, there's always, like, in the, they're about their league of star power. And, you know, maybe there's not extremely great personalities, and I'm not talking about Otani. I'm more talking about Trout. He's not, like, the most personal – like, he's a very nice guy, but he's just not, like, a flashy type player that's, like – you know, David Ortiz and some of those guys in that era that yep, Jeter, know, A-Rod, no moral. Yeah, stuff. exactly. And so like, um, he, you know, he, you could argue that, you know, he's the best player we might ever see, but it's just not like, you know, going to see somebody like, you know, David Ortiz back in the day, you know? So yep. like Otani brings that, I was at the all-star game last year. It was like, you know, everybody was writing Otani stories. It was fun. You know, he got in the home run derby, um, you know, he was the starting pitcher. He was doing the press conference then the day before. And so there was a lot of Otani hype and rightfully so, obviously. And, um, you know, so I think it's, he's great for baseball. Um, but like, I don't know how much hype there's going to be around Fenway Park. Cause I don't know how much baseball fans look at that as opposed to like, you know, with basketball, Oh, you know, um, as I said, LeBron James is coming to town. The, if you look on stuff, the ticket's going to be a million dollars. Yeah, well, well, Dave and Jeannie Cotillo will be in the house for the Otani. Uh, well, that's Otani the most game. important thing, right? Of course. So you know, <laughs> that's that's uh, it's we we're a uh, quality over quantity uh, type of place here at the Fenway Rundown. That's Chris Smith. I'm Chris Cotillo. We'll have you covered from Fenway this week before Chris heads on the road to Atlanta and Texas. And uh, as always, thanks for listening. <laughs>